Hello, everybody. Matt Sodnikar here. Thank you for listening. This is the second of our two-part episode series with my son and host of his own podcast, Nick Sodnikar. Thanks for spending some time with us. I hope you got to know myself and my son and our relationship a little bit better and basically why he's so special to me. So thanks for listening. Enjoy. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. This looks much more like an Ikea showroom layout right here, you know? <laughs> so we're back in Denver after our Salida session. And uh, were there any other questions you wanted to ask of me, I guess, before I start interviewing you for part two of our... <laughs> <laughs> of the father-son talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um the one, I think, just because of the change of scenery, where is Salida in your headspace right now? When you think back to that vacation, what comes up? Oh, it was wonderful. It was one of the best uh, trips I've had, period. It was definitely one of the best trips I've had with you and your sister. Um, the fact that it was over Christmas and uh, it was just one of the best Christmas memories I've got. It was incredible. You know, the drive going down that was crystal clear skies, dry roads, um, just kind of that midweek between Christmas and New Year's, um, just having beer and pizza with you and just walking around Salida and Nicole. Like it was just, it was epic. It was just awesome. Yeah, I feel the same way. I get, I've gotten nostalgic a lot easier lately and not in I wouldn't consider it a negative thing but I've just oh no definitely not no I've just really I've developed whatever brain muscle lets me look back on things fondly yeah and to the point where it's um I feel fondly about Salida obviously I've also got nostalgia for you know high school in a few different ways which is a strange thing I've because when I've brought that up to other people they don't, a lot of people I know don't look back on high school fondly, if at all. Yeah. And I've, and I'm thankful that I've been able to synthesize something that I can look back on and say, I appreciate that. I wouldn't want to go back, but <laughs> I can look back on it and enjoy what I had there. Yeah. And that's the difference, right? The, I think the danger with nostalgia, and I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing john hodgman on um stuff you should know but yeah i mean if you look back <clears throat> on something like a memory and you can appreciate it and compartmentalize it maybe neutralize it mm -hmm. and say hey this was great where it doesn't blind you to what's going on in front of you yeah and saying <clears throat> you know because uh my friend chris out in in utah he never goes on the same vacation with his wife again. Like they have just an epic time, right? Because mm -hmm. he's like, the bar has been set. Everything was brand new. And if you go back, the possibility of 
the same location, you know, exceeding that is remote. Very true. So, yeah, and thinking about that, like leaving Salida, like I wrote a review on that Airbnb. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't wait to come back in two years when it's, you know, our Christmas week again. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, you know, would it be repetitive or something like that? So you take that same model and you go, oh, let's go find another small mountain town in Wyoming or Utah or sure. or Colorado and go with the same model but a different location and go explore and do something else. And so there's there's always something to be said for traditions or something to be said for new and exploratory. But definitely, yeah, if your rearview mirror is coloring your windshield then that's a problem with nostalgia but you can appreciate your experiences there's nothing wrong with that definitely i'd argue that going back to someplace a second time is the perfect amount because i think the first time no matter where you travel it kind of feels like you have a blindfold on and you're just kind of wandering trying to find something to touch you know like yeah because well, you and I are not the best of planners when it comes to <laughs> getting better. <laughs> yeah, better. But especially with a vacation, you and I are much more improvisational, as a lot of your episodes have shown. <laughs> and I think being able to say, well, we did this. It was fun. We went here. It was kind of meh. We might not do that again. You're able to tailor an experience more to what you like rather than just letting the experience happen as naturally and unpredictably as possible. And there's pros and cons to that, obviously. But back to your uh, first question, that was the big thing I wanted to ask, which is how you feel Mm. about that now. Oh, yeah. I still think about that um, on a daily basis Mm -hmm. just because it was uh, sitting at the um, biker and baker and having a couple beers with you, um, laughing at watching Spy Kids with your sister, (laughs) (laughs) you know. <clears throat> um, her snowshoeing when I left the camel back in the car and our uh, water yeah. supply was frozen, <laughs> you know, and just seeing her very stoically just manage that situation and you know the frustration and and all that, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, jumping in the hot springs, it was just it was epic, right? Yeah, and you know, and I talk about <clears throat> not going back on vacation. I say that as uh, my annual ski trip to Wolf Creek is coming up, oh, which yeah. I've done. <laughs> We finally figured out how to calculate it. It's your age minus one. So this will be the <laughs> 20th time we've done this trip. So I'm not fully, you know, averse to, you know, repetitive things like that. Because mm-hmm. I try to have a, and thinking this through a little bit more, I try to have a calendar event, annual calendar event every single year, whether it's a bike ride or a ski trip or like a festival or something where, you know, it gives the, the mind something to look forward to. Sure. So it's not, repetition is not bad, you know, and I just try to, you know, and I typically don't look back, not out of, you know, blocking any memories or something, but my eyes are to the future. Like what, you know, what's coming up next and what's exciting then, you know, bands or apps or you know, technology or anything like that. To me, that's exciting. I'm not necessarily throwing away anything that's old and traditional, but mm-hmm. I've experienced that. And so that's what I think keeps me um, engaged and fresh and, and stuff like that. Would you say that there's a degree of just anticipation that you like to 
construct for yourself? Yeah. That was a leading question, but <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm much more interested in the unknown mm-hmm. and the uncertainty. And I like to have <clears throat> like our trip to Salida. We had a check-in and a check-out. We knew where we were staying, had some ideas for some activities, but other than that, I just like kind of exploring and letting things unfold. Sure. And seeing where that takes. And then also just sort of sitting down and seeing what goes on above, around, behind you, and just sort of, um, you know, crawling into the the sniper's nest (laughs) for too negative of a term, but just watching from a vantage point and seeing what's going on. Yeah. And you can push that mic down a little bit so I can see your whole face. <laughs> oh, this is this isn't just th- down a little bit. This isn't therapy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> but overall, I had a really good time too. So I'm glad it was able. I, I'm glad we were able to do that. Yeah. It's, and I, I like hanging out with you and your sister. And it's something that's very important to me that our relationship evolves from, you know, parent child to, you know, adults that you know, you're, you're one of my best friends and I enjoy hanging out with you. It's strange. Cause I've realized that that's a, a somewhat rare thing. I have a lot of friends who just, they're, they treat their parents as just roommates essentially when they're home or they're just more, it's all a loving relationship still, but it's just very coexistory. If that's a word. Yeah. They're just focused on, you know, getting by rather than, you know, creating something that's more than its parts with their family. And I'm thankful for that. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't thought a lot about that, but um, from a very young age, I've always tried to integrate or expose you and your sister to my activities, my interests, while also not trying to make mine yours Mm -hmm. and expose you to my friends and, and music and movies and, you know, maybe you don't like it, but it's a way to develop a context of what people like or don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always asking you guys, you know, what are you listening to? What are you reading? Um, you know, you guys pick the movie. What have you heard about? Let's, what do you think about this? <clears throat> and, but it also takes, I think, a mindset of finding those shared interests, you know, and I will say that that median time between say like out of like middle school and maybe 16 years old <laughs> it's kind of boring for families right sure. because you know there's homework and there's you know like i couldn't take i could take you to a bar and hang out but you know like just i i see all these families at these microbreweries around town like <laughs> the parents want to go out <laughs> and like the, the kids hate it because it's an adult environment and there's not really anything to look at. And so I get it. And they, you know, they bring games and they try to do that, which I think is great. Like I think the pub environment Mm -hmm. in England is awesome. Like take the kids out and show them that, you know, you can have a beer or two and, you know, not get rowdy. And it's not, excuse me. It's not this secret existence for, you know, parents. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And it's uh, like, you know, when you, I've taken you for bike rides and, you know, you're just a rocket, which is great. <laughs> it's like you're fast or, you know, when we did the, 
the Christmas 5K, you know, you're a full six minutes ahead of me, which is awesome. But, you know, it doesn't matter that we're not together together. Like we're in the car, we meet at the finish line, we have that shared experience. And so that's the thing is you can have varying degrees of ability. And I, and I wonder also, too, <clears throat> as I talk through this, if our athletic pursuits and our love of being outside is something that has helped that, too like skiing and snowshoeing and and bike riding. Like, you know, your sister might not ever do a century or neither would you, but, you know, we go on these events and it's just one way to have a shared experience. I definitely say there's something there, especially with (laughs) the athletic, just the running, the 5Ks, because suffering is universal and you can connect with anyone over how much something sucks. Oh, yeah. And I think I still have really close connections to my cross-country friends, to you, obviously. And I, I, I haven't thought of it like that, that it, we, have, we have stuff in common that lets, well, yeah. us, that lets us be friends and not just roommates to yeah. a degree. Well, I, you're, you're covering my tab for the roommate aspect. <laughs> so maybe, it's a, maybe there's a little inequity in that, but that's a good point. I didn't even think of it like that. Well, and I see stories on Reddit that pop up occasionally of uh, people finding letters, you know, from their parents or, you know, they, the parents have passed away or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. Man, I had no idea. Like all these photos of, you know, dad leaning up against like a 57 Chevy and, you know, <laughs> going back. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is perhaps generational and cultural. I mean, because without social media to see what's going on, and I'm not saying that parents lead secret lives but um i don't know it's just it it would be unfortunate like if you didn't know cole or any of my friends or didn't experience some of that stuff you might not ever participate in it but to see um, all the stuff that's going on and hear those stories and and then but also having an interest in your experiences too like i just don't want to dominate the conversation and talk about (laughs) Oh, here's my ski trip and here's my bike trip and here's my stuff. It's like, you know, tell me what you got going on. Like that's, it's, you know, it's two way street, give and take. Absolutely. You're up and you're still very, you know, expressive with your interests and stuff. We're at his house right now and there's all this really cool artwork around the walls. There's skulls on the mantel <laughs> cool place. In Eric Woods. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Belgian <clears throat> cobblestone, that's really cool. You got all this just matte memorabilia we could call it yeah and it's expressive and that's definitely carried over just being able to show what you like because when when did that become uncool to show what you're into i i don't know but i appreciate yeah you've got the the ring game over there the clock and all that (laughs) it's a cool it's a cool bungalow (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. I just like being amused by things and it doesn't have to be um, expensive or, um, you know, what other people's definition of art or decoration should be. There's enough wooden arrows in kitchens that say live well, love often, laugh a lot or whatever they are. And sconces. We we don't need any more of those either. Right. Well, I think part of you know, going back to the, our relationship too, is that, um, I've never considered myself 
as, I mean, I'm your parent and I'm the ultimate authority, mm-hmm. but I've never viewed myself as a general or a boss, or I've always seen my role more of a coach. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I think we covered this before um, in Salida, but my job was to provide a better path for you and your sister mm-hmm. and provide guidance and be understanding when you guys made mistakes. Sure. Because kids are not stupid. They're ignorant. They're unexposed yeah. to certain things. That's true. <clears throat> right. And a lot of parents I see forget to put themselves in their kids' shoes of, oh, this kid's five or this kid's eight or this kid's 16 or 21. And maybe they're just pattern matching or seeing a situation for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that frustration where it takes a lot more effort to get up from like a dinner party with a bunch of families and a bunch of kids to put my drink down, get up, walk across the room and just sort of politely pull you aside and go, Hey dude, you know, this, you know, once you give that a rest, like (laughs) chill out rather than, you know, yelling across the room. Yeah. Because that embarrasses kids, right? Like even at a young age, like nobody likes being singled out and yelled at, whether it's at work or in a family thing. And, you know, I just, as long as you guys were not destroying something, being disrespectful or hurting somebody else, I'm like, just go do what you want to do, man. I think it's a we're in a risky time now because of how technology is a part of everyone's lives. Yeah. How often do you see, you know, the kid at a restaurant with an iPad or something just as an immobilizer? Yeah. I think that's, I think there's a time where that's helpful, but at the same, at the same time, it's risky that that just becomes your go-to, you know, your quick jab for how to keep your kids in place. Yeah. I see kids walking through restaurants, you know, on their devices. Yeah. It's like, granted, like a Chili's is not going to be an immersive, amazing experience, (laughs) but look around, you know, and if you're bored, you can start talking to each other. Yeah. That night we had in Salida at uh, Fritz where we were tucked in the corner and our conversation went from art to whatever. And I think the only time I took out my phone was to take a picture of those pigs and maybe we had Googled something, but other than that, the, the conversation will come and, you know, and that's the challenge. Like, you know, a restaurant for a five-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) You got to remember a kid has no attention span. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the kid wants to get up and walk around, do that at home, you know, just Mm -hmm. you, you can mold the circumstance to the situation or the change the situation to better fit the, the family. And like, you don't have to get pissed off at your kid. It's just like, He's five, he's bored, you know, he has yeah. four bites of something. And I see that all the time. It's like, have two more bites. Well, the kid's full, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing I learned at a very young age when we introduced you guys to solid food is that your your stomach is about the size of your fist. And if you have a two-year-old, <laughs> think about the little Deadpool hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a lot of food. That's like seven peas and maybe some mac and cheese and that's mm-hmm. it. And it's like, 
they're probably full. Just listen to them, right? Yeah. Takeout listen boxes. Yeah. Takeout boxes <clears throat> are included. They don't charge you extra for those. Yeah. Exactly. I think t- back to technology real quick. I think a technology is designed to be addictive. No one really oh, talks. Totally. Yeah, no one really talks about that, but it's definitely there. Yeah. Especially with you know any freemium games or social media is obvious that it's meant to reward you to keep you watching. Yeah. But I think technology is also giving setting this example that it's you don't need to try to get validation anymore. With the restaurant kids example, you don't need to try. <laughs> you don't need to try and instigate conversation with the people around you. You can just turn into whatever you, app you have open at that time. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to awkwardly approach someone at a bar. You can just swipe right, I think, to get to say, yes, you like that person. Yeah. And again, there's the argument for efficiency. You know, this new technology is connecting us in ways we can't do. But it's also we're not looking at each other as much anymore. We're looking at images and representations of each other that aren't always the most accurate. And I think there's a risk associated with that that may become more apparent sooner than we think. Yeah. But I always sit at the bar, unless it's a hotel bar, which I just never do. Like I'll <laughs> grab a beer and smuggle it back to my room. Which I don't know <laughs> if it's smuggling, but... Um, you pay, I think it's fair. Yeah. There, there's something inherently depressing about an airport bar or uh, not an airport bar, a hotel bar. Yeah. Cause it's usually, you know, single solo business travelers or not single, but solo business travelers, travelers mm-hmm. and just, and, and, but again, look through the lobby and they're all sitting at a table by themselves on their phones. Yeah. And so, I'd rather not even be in that environment. If I'm going to be alone, I'd rather be alone. Mm-hmm. But if I'm out to a restaurant or something and I'm by myself, I'll always sit at the bar just to, it's to me, it's faster service, but I can talk to the bartender if there's, you know, somebody sitting next to me and it's not about picking up a date or anything. It's just yeah. about that connection. And so I, I've started actually leaving my phone in the car. Huh. If I'm not going to meet anybody, or just going out for lunch, like I'll leave my phone in my car and just kind of look around. And like then that. I'm the weirdo because yeah. everybody else is on their phone. Uh-huh. And you're just there, <clears throat> both hands on the table. How, yeah. How do you feel about wearable technology like Apple Watches and stuff? Um, I think it's cool from a technological perspective, mm-hmm. but... I don't want to be reminded of all the messages I'm getting, all the emails I'm getting. Yeah. Because I have my task list, which points to Trello, which points to Gmail, which points to my calendar. Mm-hmm. And for my peace of mind and what I've listened to and what I've learned is that I don't want to have all, I want to batch that stuff, right? I want to look yeah. at my calendar in the morning and that's it. And then I, try to do my appointments in the evening for whether it's tomorrow or six months from now, just put all that stuff in there. Mm -hmm. So that way I'm not always doing everything all the time. Right. Um, I do like from the fitness side, like I think at some point I'd like to get a Garmin watch just so that I can go for a run and not carry my phone and have it track. Sure. Um, But I haven't crossed that value line where I could either 
do you map my run once and come back and log it the next time? Mm-hmm. One of like one of the three routes out back. <clears throat> that's a convenience thing. Yeah. But if I have kind of a cheap, free technical solution that does the same thing and it costs me thirty seconds to, you know, tag the run, hit my stopwatch, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But know? the constant accessibility is yeah. like no. Yeah. There's screens everywhere now. <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. The new business places, it's cool to have, you know, a screen kiosk in the lobby and stuff like that. It's it's interesting that we have good screens and bad screens. Right. We That was a meme I saw at some point was, spe- <laughs> was spend, spend all day looking at bad screens so I can go home and look at good screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the bowling alley on Saturday the bolero at park meadows there's the screen for the bowling game the score Mm -hmm. and then there's edge to edge flat screens above there showing videos sports center Mm -hmm. all sorts of other stuff then if that's not enough then um, like every second or third lane there's a projection screen which is like five feet by four feet which Mm -hmm is then synced up to some of the smaller screens. So I'm just sitting there like the hypno toe from <laughs> Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, cause I'll catch the synchronized motion on the videos and then it switches to sports center. Like if it fades to black and comes back and I'm just like, why can't we just bowl? It's the same, <laughs> it's the same thing with <clears throat> other big sports stadiums. You're, you're paying to go get, served ads that's what those big jumbotrons are for totally and the the new technology is just making the reason you're going the least interesting thing yeah like i haven't been to a football game in a while but it's all just the ads that you get served the you know verizon wireless presents the halftime show and stuff like that this is slightly unrelated. I love the aesthetics of a Sunday afternoon bowling game. Like going in when the sun's out, bowling a little bit, and then coming out when the sun's down. Yeah. I don't know why I like the idea of that. I think I will join a bowling league at some point. The game is fun. Yeah. You know, if you can find a vintage alley that's just old school, mm-hmm. you know, PBR and... Lay's potato chips and no screens yeah. and maybe some piped in music. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. You know, like I get the concept of top golf, like gamifying golf, but mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> Same thing. Screens everywhere. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'm good. No thanks. You don't they have I still can't believe they have this. They have these injectable donut hole snacks there where they <laughs> they serve you donut holes and they bring out these fun size syringes filled with different icings <laughs> that you get to just <laughs> into the donut hole. Why not just shoot it right into your face? I know some, <laughs> some kids, Which I'm sure somebody has. Oh yeah. Some kids held it to another kid's mouth and just punched the end of it. <laughs> so that innovation isn't always necessary is what I think the point of that is. <laughs> Injectable donut hole. Yeah. Oh my God. Just fly on a wall for that <laughs> marketing meeting. But I know you have, it sounds self-serving to say, I know you have questions for me, but I want to make sure you get to those. Sure. Yeah, this introduces my new segment called College 
WTF question mark. <laughs> w- WTFU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted to ask you. So, you know, when you were a freshman a couple of years ago at CU, we went up mm-hmm. to the Leeds orientation. Yeah. And I loved that. It looks so exciting, so interesting mm-hmm. because I went to school to be a software engineer and had a math minor, which vaporized those brain cells a long time <laughs> ago. <clears throat> but all my all my management and business stuff has been books and podcasts and magazines and mm-hmm. and seeing a curriculum around that stuff that I've gravitated to seems really cool. And I was joking that hey, it'd be kind of cool if you and I were freshman roommates. <laughs> you know, old school. Yeah, right? Melissa McCarthy had <clears throat> that movie come out where that was her. I think. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, but, I like her a lot. Yeah, um, but I wanted to ask you know as you're going into second half of your junior year what college has been like and if first of all i guess do you like it i will say yes i like it but not for the same reasons that i thought i would like it when Hmm. i first came in when i first came in i thought i would like it for um you know getting the chance to meet all these new cool people having all these really fun events to do after classes get out and just being able to have that whole self-discovery thing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like those three things are very positive and it sounds like I'm not experiencing those. I am just not in different ways or just in different ways. So I'm very, that whole self-discovery journey is definitely a not cyclical. I'd say seasonal thing where you have bursts of, you know, I think I'm this guy now, or I think Mm. I'm this now. And I still haven't really tapped in how to keep that perpetual, but overall it's, I like college because it's really making me be honest about myself and how I feel about college, how I feel about getting a business degree and a lot of stuff like that. I think the big thing, especially with pursuing a business degree is successful businesses succeed because they're different or they they found a way to do something differently make something differently etc etc and i think what the business school is doing is somewhat the antithesis of that be different idea because it's saying there is one right answer for this there's not that much subjectivity there's very little room for some sort of error or deviation from what is considered the objective truth and of course there's a degree of that that's necessary you know assets still equals liabilities plus owner's equity all those things there's a rule there are rules in play well, slow down there brainiac yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm surprised i'm surprised i got that right still but there's obviously rules that you need to adhere to if you want to go into business in any way right but the school doesn't I'll say my experience with it just because they have the best intentions. I haven't felt that they've really fostered that question everything mentality as much as they've just been saying, here's the basics, here's what you need to nail down. But I think it should be the opposite. I think you should go into it with this mindset of questioning or you should be taught first how to question everything before you learn these core essentials. Because if you learn the core first and then you're taught, well, you got to question that, it sounds like you're going against your own values. Right. Whereas if you learn how to question everything first and then you're shown, 
here's how this thing usually happens. You're able to approach it from different angles, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's, and that's really where I've had to take on a lot of this myself is learning how to trust what I'm learning, but also question it at the same time, which is very counterintuitive. And ultimately back to your initial question of, do I like it? I like it because it's confusing and Mm -hmm. it's this challenge that, you don't expect to face every all the time. Whereas in you are always trying to, you know, get good grades, do all this other stuff, but you're also trying to figure out what the heck is going on in. Yeah. yeah, Not just in life, but in your own head and other people's heads. And I like it for that reason, not necessarily because, you know, Hey, we got an ice cream social coming up this weekend or something. (laughs) They still do that. (laughs) They do socials. I don't think there's any ice cream ones anymore. But ultimately, yes, I do like it. Short answer. Was it a little bit of a disappointment to kind of see? Because it sounds like you're discovering that it's an infrastructure and it's college is a business too. And I don't say that negatively. I just say that it's, they do provide a service, but they have to keep their own interests in mind. Yeah. Was it disappointing to see the machine? that's a college i think it would have been disappointing if i wasn't there to study business Mm. learning about you know how you generate revenue how you market how you balance the books how you do all this stuff and to also be one of the things in that machine that we're also learning about it's interesting because it's like it's like being both the hamster in the maze while also being the proctor and builder of that Mm. maze. And I know there's a lot of, you know, you know, the whole rat race thing and, you know, you're just another one in the machine, but I'm kind of all right with that at this point, because there's a big pressure to, you know, discover who you are. And (laughs) at the same time, there's no need to rush that. Because I think it was Bill Burr, the comedian, who says something like, you either make it when you're you know, 22 or you make it when you're 40 or something like that. Yeah. And there's no, you can't rush how quickly the plant grows. You, you just got to feed it, give it the right sunlight. You don't, there's only one sun. But you just, you need to learn how, you need to learn what type of plant you are before you can learn what fruit it bears. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and that's the thing is you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I still, even though I never should have been an engineer, I still use a lot of those principles. Like I'm glad that I went through it mm-hmm. because I still have in some ways uh, a logical kind of engineer brain. And yeah. so when I'm looking at things, I'm trying to build a system and do it once because after that, like the iteration is what kills me. Like I don't like repeating like landscaping projects, right? Like I Mm -hmm. like stuff that like laying down rock, you do that once it's there forever. Yeah. But gardening, the repetition, not my strength. I will say your story is not helpful at all when it comes to (laughs) here's what, here's what I mean. (laughs) That's not surprising. It's, it's the idea of you go to school to study one thing, you go enter that field, and then you realize, oh, this isn't for me. 
ev- I think every one of the speakers that I've gone to has had some version of that story. And that is such a confusing thing to hear because the entire college format is built around that certainty of, you know, what you want to be. And so many of the people that come in are saying, well, I went to school to study this, but after I got into it, I realized I hate it. So now I'm doing this now and I'm very happy and successful at it. Yeah. So the message is kind of becoming, you come here, you spend all this money to learn. You don't like this and you didn't need to spend all that money. (laughs) Here's how I became an engineer. Yeah. I actually would want to hear this. In high school, college counseling, or we had the guidance counselor. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, she's looking at my grades and I had like a three, four GPA in high school and I was taking math and science mm-hmm. and she looked at the math and science grades, which were B's mostly A's in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, you're taking math and science. You got good grades. You should go in engineering. That was it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and again, they're trying, they've got a funnel. They're trying to filter kids through there. Right. But like looking back, I remember in eighth grade, had this class, World of Construction, where we would build a shed, we'd learn basic wiring, sawing, hammering, all that stuff. Huh. And then the second semester, we had to design and build a dream house, like a scale, like it was, it was as big as a laptop. That's how big it was. Mm-hmm. But I remember you had to do like graph paper and cut it and draw it in dimensions and things like that. And, and, when that was done, it was graded. I brought that home and I jumped up and down on it in the backyard and <laughs> destroyed that fucking thing because it was so frustrating, right? Mm-hmm. And had that little piece of knowledge transposed to the guidance counselor, like, oh, you get to design <laughs> and build things, i.e., engineering, <laughs> and you hate it so much, yeah, right? Uh-huh. And that's why I tell everybody as a high school senior, take a DISC profile because DISC at that time, hopefully if it existed back when I was that age, but it would have exposed that details and repetition mm-hmm. are kryptonite to me. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, and again, going back to how we started the conversation, looking back, I don't worry about what would have been had I gone into sales and marketing immediately because i can't fix that Mm -hmm. right all i have is now today and tomorrow to take that knowledge and push it forward Mm -hmm. and change the future and not fret about the past yeah but it's it's a failing proposition to say it's 17 years old and open the the big prices right door and go here's (laughs) your future yeah who the fuck knows what that's gonna be right Mm mm-hmm looking back on who I was when I was 18 um, I think I that's when I had to pick the one of the most important forks in the road that's when I had to look at that but I mean so on a huge societal level you know they need to get us into the workforce as soon as possible that as soon as they think we're prepared and as soon as we think we're prepared for it so yeah. I, I understand the huge you know machinations at work at that level but I think think a lot of students definitely get you know left in the dust when it comes to who they think they are yeah and how to solve that i'm not super sure yet i should go to school to figure that out (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and i told you when you went off to school i said i 
changed schools. I stayed the same major, which mm-hmm. I should have changed. Um, but <clears throat> I told you, if you get up there and the major doesn't work, the school doesn't work, the um, college experience doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And if you, there's, and I, I told you too, there's a difference between banging your head against the wall because you can see the wall starting to crack and there's persistence. Like if you have attacked the wall with your head and a hammer and dynamite and it's still not coming down and you're still not being gratified, like not saying, Oh, this is hard. I'm going to quit. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey man, I have tried everything. Like I've talked to my professors, counselors, therapists. I've thought about this. Yeah. It's like, I told you we'll figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Because in our previous conversation, like your success is not tied to me. Like I want you to be happy and not psychotic Mm -hmm. (laughs) and whatever that turns out to look like, maybe it'll take some adjustment to me and that's fine. But if you came to me and had this idea, it's like, I've been thinking about this all the time. Like I go to class, do my homework, my grades are good, but like every waking second, I'm thinking about this Mm -hmm. and it's like, and if you said like, I'm going to quit and go after this, like I would support that. Your mom might shit, (laughs) but like, give it a shot, man. Because the myth of like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Blake Mycoskie, those guys are outliers. And if you dig more into them, never went to high school, never went to college or whatever, that that's a myth, yeah. right? The stats don't line up to support that. They're still, they're finding environments that they learn in. They're not just dropping out and then playing, you know, on Facebook or anything like that. They're learning how to do these things, just not in a structured environment. Right. Which is, uh, yeah, like you said, often overlooked. Yeah, yeah. And that being said, I, I talked about this a couple times with other entrepreneurs. It's like, the the degree of your commitment i don't think defines let me rephrase that (laughs) like i don't believe you have to quit your job to be an entrepreneur and start up and be successful at that Mm -hmm. like that that atom bomb of commitment it doesn't need to be that yeah it can be a series of tactical sniper shots that over time cumulatively have the same effect yeah so it's not really smart to quit your job and give up the salary and the benefits and the uncertainty that that brings along, right? Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> let's say you graduate from Leeds, you get a good job and you still have this idea. Well, you have mornings, nights, weekends to work on all this stuff while you have an inf- infrastructure to support that, right? Yeah. I think going back to that whole atom bomb of commitment thing that made me think of the idea of perfectionism and how that it is, that is the absolute pinnacle of a dangerous thing to pursue. And especially with entrepreneurship or just finding out who you are, you can't let perfectionism be in that equation at all. Yeah. Cause failure is so much a part of that. And just back, I think the idea of college somewhat fosters that idea of perfection, perfectionism equals success in some way, because, you know, 
and again, like the idea of it's a business, they need to have some way to quantify how good students are doing. Yeah. But that shouldn't be your, your driver shouldn't be the grades. That should really be just what that should just be the result. And of course, you know, grades are important to, for just any sort of quantifying, but I see some kids that are really just true perfectionists and they, they look, they're terrifying to me to see just, they think the 2% between 98% and 100 is as important as that other 98% when it comes to <laughs> their their effort level. Yeah. And it's so strange to see how they treat the little things as equally as the big things and I'm I'm thankful that you have not pushed that idea of being perfect equals being successful. Right. And I think I posed the question to you a long time ago that if you spend two hours and get an A or you spend 12 hours and get an A. Yeah. <laughs> there is a better A. Mm-hmm. Right. This and is- it's not phoning it in. It's kind of like the minimum viable product. Yeah. That <clears throat> perfection is the enemy of completion. Yeah. You know, and those kids are going to, they're going to be messed up. Right. Oh yeah. I've, <laughs> I've, I've sat down with a few of them just cause just to pick their brains a little bit. And it's, you can tell that they're not running to reach a goal. They're running from something mentally. Sure. And it's, I'm thankful every day that I have some sort of broad goal that I'm going towards. Yeah. And that goal really isn't even something tangible at this point. It's just, it's something in front of me rather than behind me. Right. And we've all got demons some way or another, but oh yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> there there needs to be something there, right? And to your point about the institution and measuring that, like y- you have to have grades, right? I I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. From even like the the public school system with the standardized testing and all that, yeah. But what I've found is decent systems will manage the exceptions and not the the interior of the bell curve Mm -hmm. and some of the most fascinating people i've met like your sister's friends or your friends or my friends they're the outliers because they're artistic and i say this with the highest compliment they're weirdos (laughs) right that don't fall into a measurable category yeah so math science you know they've got musical ability or artistic ability or they're very scientific but they're so far smarter than everybody else that they're like a visionary right Mm -hmm. and so if you're if i was to just wave a magic wand and design like an education system yeah the people that are like the traditional path that you know want to go to school instead of these subjects but the ones that you know are struggling in those fields how do you grab those people and then take them on you know maybe maybe they're not a mechanical engineer but they're mechanically savvy where you put them in a machine shop and they can look at a block of metal and they can like 3d print this in their head and take a lathe and all these tools and like do that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and it's not blue collar it's like a different kind of design that okay you know maybe the the 
maybe they just know how this stuff works. They don't need an equation to talk about acceleration or things like that or stress. They're just like, I just, I just know how this works. Yeah. And that's why I suggested Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance to you is that Mm -hmm. if you can get through those to those two pages that I marked and I don't even want to provide any context to color your perception of that, but it talks about some of these concepts. And I think in a way like, going into your senior year might be of interest to you. If you can at least make it to that section, like the book was like gnawing on a bone, but I'm glad <laughs> I finished it because yeah. it was, there's, it's pretty heady. And I was like, wow, the fact that this is fiction just kind of blew me away, but it covers a lot of those concepts and like, yeah, just have to help the people that need things presented in a different way. And I think I think that whole idea, I think there's too much emphasis on what you make doing that job also. And again, obviously money is important in this society. You need to make money so you can support yourself and anyone else that's that needs your support. But that's one of the first things that gets presented in every information session I go to is how much money you make, not if not, if you will even enjoy this or there's, it, it'll say what you're doing. It'll say what the results will be, but it doesn't say what part of the brain or what, or people, people who think like this might enjoy doing work like this. There really isn't something like that. They usually bring it down to like people who like to travel and like to meet new people might like doing data entry in the basement of the tech center. <laughs> And, and here's how we're gonna crush your soul yeah and i did i did this presentation a while ago that addressed an idea like that just be wary of these companies that use words in their marketing like we're a village and we're like we're not employees we're all teammates and stuff because it's just it's a strange thing to see this level of um exuberance and eccentricity that some people go to just to try and sell you something that really isn't all that rather than if they had just said, look, this is probably going to be a two year position for you. You'll just, you'll make X amount of money. You'll be doing somewhat tedious menial work, but we think it'll help set you up for whatever comes next. I think if companies did that to college students, rather than try and say all that stuff about you'll get to travel and meet all that i think there'd be a lot more of a interest in doing these things rather than selling it as a stepping stone rather than as this huge uh finish line it's like you did it you made this program and stuff (laughs) and in the venn diagram of uh college marketing and cult marketing in the middle it's people outside in the sun And I think there's some, that might be me getting all conspiracy theory-y, but I think there's something to that. I like how you're realistic, but not yet cynical. That's oh. good. <laughs> you know. I've n- I appreciate that. I've definitely had some spouts of big, hardcore cynicism, and it's usually isolated. It was, it was this one class this last semester where I was just, I was real, you know, I don't even know a person who I could represent there, but it was not a cynicism I enjoyed even. Yeah. It was just, 
it was that idea of what you were, it was back to your thing about building your imaginary house or your dream mm. house and actually building it and the tediousness of that. We had to design, uh, the professor put us into groups and we were this uh, airplane manufacturing company. So we would be folding paper airplanes and we would sell them to the professor at in all this pretend sense and we would have to make money off of it. There were all these additional guidelines and stuff. And I... <laughs> I, I fled that class every day when the bell, the metaphorical bell rang that we could leave because it was all this sent. There were all these rules in place that you had to adhere to. You had to work with a team in these roles that were arbitrary, yet your grade hinged on them hmm. to a degree and stuff. And the, I won't mention any other parts of who this professor was, but he he clearly had tenure. He clearly treated this more as just a fun thing for him rather than letting us be rather than letting us take this and run with it in a lot of different ways. And it was there's I can I don't I'm trying to make this constructive, but it was just this the environment made us competitive against each other, not against the problem. Oh. And there was just this unhealthy need to get the perfectionist aspect get the last few points in get these last few little things in or else you would you would you were trained to think that the entire project was a failure in this sense because grades it's that's where i'll leave it is it was just not not an environment that i think the modern business world would want you to be have experience in and but it's it's behind and Zen and Buddhism and all that. <laughs> what grade did you get in that class? I got a B plus in it because you're a failure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah. This set a lot of student set a lot of students on fire with um, how the grading works. So professor unknowingly had this large chunk of grading. So in the pie chart of your overall grade this huge chunk of it was just, you know, attendance and being professional in class and stuff like that. And then after we had all taken our final exam, the professor sends out this email saying, yeah, I didn't actually mean for this huge sliver to be that big. So I'm going to chuck this down a bit. And he ticked everyone's grades down around like five percentage points. And at that point, I, I kind of just accepted it because I didn't want to deal with this class anymore. But there were some kids who were just apoplectic about it that. yeah because again an over abundance an over reliance on grades representing who you are but again it's i don't think it's, this professor is going to change anything i i'm out of it now i passed yeah. so i think I'm, it's better for me just to leave it in the ether of traumatic memories <laughs> <laughs> well the the Marcus Aurelius in me is looking at that going, that's not something you can change. You know, if you argued it and you won, like what's the gain you would get? Yeah. But the, the other part of me is like, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's like, dude, you said this, you know, you've got to, it's, it would be on him to adjust the scores appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like this is what you said three months ago, you know, that, Shit, people change deals all the time. Flights get canceled. So, yeah. So um, it's impressive how you handled that. And <clears throat> last thing I'll say is you could tell that this professor, the moment the words left his mouth, he forgot what he said. 
<laughs> so if you went up to him and said, hey, but you said last week that you did this, it's you could tell that his brain was going, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. So oh, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm out. It's fine. I won't say any more information because there are kids who are taking this class next semester and stuff. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Anyway, what's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of airplanes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, and there is a, and, oh God, I keep saying last thing I'll say, but there is a world where this project is very helpful and very beneficial because it puts you in this microcosm environment where you are a business and you need to see how outside factors affect it, how internal ones impact what you're making, all this other stuff like that. But it just, it just, it just came down to poor execution, poor leadership, not from my group, but from the overall class structure. And again, effort spent on something you can't change, minimal. I don't think we need to address it any more than we have to. But yeah. Maybe that's the lesson going forward is that at some point you'll experience that in your career. Yeah. Dealing with incompetence and poorly designed. <laughs> yeah processes or things like that mm -hmm. um that's conversation we had at work yesterday about these processes that were just not working mm -hmm. and you know, people do their best but sometimes it doesn't always work yeah and i think you're absolutely right i'm I, i'm trying to take this as just a larger lesson bigger than what the class taught me of just there will be frustrations no matter how small or no matter how big. So learn to roll with them rather than trying to fight each one when it comes up. Yeah. Let's see what else I wrote down here. Well, I was going to ask you just simply if you're happy. Oh, yeah. I would be. Wait. <laughs> Let me back up. Yes, I am. But I'm not treating not being happy as some sort of a failure or some hmm. sort of a you know obstacle to be overcome. I'm... I'm not necessarily a believer in fate, but I don't resist some I've, tr I've treated it like a, like you're driving a car. You have control over your immediate surroundings, but you can't change what direction the road is or the condition of the road or something like that. So if I'm yes, overall, I would say I am happy, but I know that that is not a consistent and always will be case. I've had, you and I both have had experiences in the past where we have just absolutely not been happy. Mm -hmm. And I think it does them a disservice to say that those are bad. It's, it's the movie inside out happiness and sadness. All the emotions are important and useful. You just need to tune into them when you need to learn from them. And I definitely have been in places where I haven't been ready to face that. But ultimately letting yourself feel what you need to feel when you need to feel it leads to happiness later on because it's all, it's all a sine wave when it comes to emotions. I think there's times where you're sad, there's times where you're happy and there's times where you don't know why you're those things also. And again, back to this class, rather than figure out why or how to change it, I think there's times where you just need to yield to that and let yourself feel these things because yeah. it's, it's, kind of like a band-aid you just need to let yourself rip it off no matter how much hair gets pulled up with it <laughs> because it's it's just helpful to and it's the human experience to be sad sometimes so why not 
not saying make yourself sad, but when you have a just a deep, profound, un, un, un-understandable sadness that's adding to your human experience and that's making you wiser to a degree that other people aren't. So if you can make sadness helpful, it makes your happiness uh, better, to put it simply. But it's pretty profound. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess just to add on to anyone who's curious, I think a lot of sadness can come in my case came from just a heartbreak I had a few years ago and it was self-induced. I, I was the one who ended that relationship and I equate it to, I really think it was similar to having to put a pet down in some way because uh, things were, there weren't problems, but things were just stuck in where they were and we were both obviously changing. So in order to, you know, essentially move on with our lives, we both had to accept that that was not going to be together. So, and it, and it was just, that was the harder part was not that I wasn't going to be with this person anymore. It was that I had to look at this person who was more or less my everything for a while and take everything from her and just be in and have this whole thing come crashing down. Not because it needed to either, but Actually, no, because it needed to, even though neither of us really wanted that to happen. And that was what I think brought on a lot of that <laughs> profound sadness I, ha- I was mentioning earlier was that it, it was unnecessary. It wasn't something that I wanted to be in, even if at the time I. Even if when it happened, I knew it needed to at the time, I absolutely didn't want that to happen. And. I will say I'm really thankful for that whole experience. I would not wish myself or the other person through that again with me or with anyone else in either of our futures, but I really had to work to make that it's something I could use. And geez, I guess, yeah, I was a, I was a mess my first semester, sophomore year, just cause everything ended first or second semester freshman year. And then just everything started to fall apart under that. And I'm, and I'm fine now for whoever's listening to this. It was just looking back on it, giving it the weight and magnitude it deserves because to belittle it is to invalidate the lessons that it was teaching. So moving, moving to uh, present, just being where I am right now, uh, I think it really just is about appreciating what everything is what everything is giving and there's obviously things that are giving you not what you want but just letting those things have their deserved place on your metaphorical mantle letting them be where they should be and not trying to sweep them under the rug in any sense because i know you've well you've had much more of that experience than i think I have, and that's not belittling my experience, but I think you've had similar ones and we don't need to talk about that. But I, again, I think that's something back to where we started this whole interview was, I think that was another thing that we were able to connect over were these really low points that we were both in at similar times. Yeah. Well, and going back to that struggle that you were talking about, um, 
I hope I've told you this before, but I'll tell you now. I thought that was very courageous of what you had done because the easy thing to do is to stay in a situation that you know isn't working because it's the predictability of it. Yeah. Right. And I forget what song it is. Maybe you'll remember, but it's the, the, is it the right thing and the easy thing or rarely the same or never the same? I forget what song that is. I'll look it up. I, I know that line though. Yeah. 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 So I was very proud of you for making that decision. And there was a, particular intent to I just wanted to let you know that I was listening and supporting you and not telling you what to do and trying to at least let you know that you were understood and supported and not say here's what you got to do right because that's what I've been telling you for years you're flying the plane now yeah right and just here's some observations and here's kind of some feedback but um, yeah, I, it was, you were really struggling, but I was very impressed with the courage you showed to make those decisions and to own it and to suffer through that. Yeah. And of course, hindsight's, you know, 2020 with all of this, but, and I feel it's worth mentioning too, that this wasn't the person that this also affected I, I can only imagine what this did to her as well, just because of, um, you know, it, relationships are two people and mm-hmm. they both go through things similar. And this was, and like I said before, this is, that's what I'm still kind of not, not still, but just that's something I still think about a lot is that this was as bad as this was for me. It could have only been a fraction of what this did to her. And and of course, that there's no need to dwell on that. It's it was there. It happened. But I'm, she's absolutely moved on at this point, and I I I have to do the same at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't step into the future if you have one foot nailed in the past. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, and that's that's something that you know. Last year, you were a huge part of my support and recovery from what I was going through. And I remember, you know, talking to you at Union Station about, you know, the impending divorce and things like that. And um, I was struck that you were way too upset about it. Yeah. I mean, and I couldn't tell if you were upset for me because I was upset or whatever, but that's when that, that's when we sort of had that shared experience over this struggle. And, I look back at that as a gift just by random coincidence that you and I were going through this. And it was one of those things that I wasn't going to hide my emotions and my struggle from you and your sister. Mm -hmm. But that moment where you and I sort of like, Oh, we're going through this together. Like the ADD ADHD that we talked about in Salida. Yeah. um, This was, a wonderful thing for us to work through together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it definitely brought us closer and some appreciative for that. And I tell people that you and I, we were close when you're in high school, but we're closer now that I don't see you every day, 
and there's this emotional bond and you know, we have our standing Thursday phone call. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really cool that as you're growing up and moving away and doing that, that we're actually getting closer, which is takes effort, but it's, it's not, it's not always the fun stuff like going to see movies and, and runs and stuff like that. It's sharing that, you know, the shithole times that yeah really form a real bond that I have with other friends. And like I said before, you're one of my best friends. I enjoy hanging out with you. And it's because it's not because you're my son. It's because you're somebody that I like to be with. I realized that at some point too, that it's, it is important to bond. It's, it's back to that whole suffering thing. You bond over suffering almost better than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think to stack that with you know, that, that we have stuff in common also, we like the same movies and things like that. It really is. A, I think it is a unique bond you and I have. And it's, it's a, I'm thankful for it. It's a really cool one. Yeah. What? I am too. I mean, you, you and your sister are without a doubt, two of the best things that have ever happened to me. And um, it's easier now that you're a little older, but um, when your mom and I split up, that was because I was staying home with you guys. And that Mm -hmm. was the, the divorce was one part of it, but going from seeing you guys 24 seven to seeing you on a revised schedule, like that was the hardest thing. Yeah. And um, I'm going to, one of those cards on the floor over there is for your sister. And I was just thinking about this driving up from Salida is that, and I'll tell you this, but I'm going to write her a card. It's like, there's sometimes when I have to forget about you guys because I miss you so much. And I had heard something similar with Jocko on Tim Ferriss's podcast where these special forces guys in Iraq, when they would Skype with their family back home, they would put their pictures back up in the tent, but they would take them down because they didn't want to be reminded of that. And I just like, I think about you guys all the time. And if you don't hear from me, it's not that I'm not thinking about you. It's there's sometimes that, you're not being around is sometimes painful and it's sometimes I just forget you exist is kind of like self-preservation. I've reached a conclusion similar to that. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember thinking that of, Oh man, my dad witnesses like a fifth of me growing up or Mm -hmm. something like that. It's just like, I didn't, I didn't consider, I mean, obviously when the divorce first happened, I was all, I mean, I was as emotional as a nine-year-old could be. So <laughs> not that emotional at all. That, that is a joke I would put in a stand-up set is uh, my parents' divorce was so, to me, it was so smooth that I can't blame my childhood trauma on it. <laughs> 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 but I, but I had that realization at some point of just that this was, that this entire existence we live now is a fragment of something that was 
Yeah. And it's interesting to see the differences in that compared to uh, my friends who obviously still have their parents together. My parents, my friends who have had much worse parent falling out happen. And it's just interesting the perspective that this has given me. And as much as I wouldn't wish in a, in a repeat of this life, I wouldn't wish this to happen, but it's also where we are right now. So it, I'm thankful for it at the same time. Well, I agree. I yeah. mean, you and I wouldn't be sitting here in this context for a variety of different reasons had I not gone through that. Because, yeah. you know, from this moment, you stack the dominoes backwards, you know, with the podcast or our relationship or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking about this the other day it's like there was no drug abuse or cheating or you know alcohol abuse or violence you know i was just a perfectionist asshole (laughs) you know and entitled and despite having two kids and a job and a marriage and a house like i wasn't a grown-up because i hadn't really faced any real challenges you know sure um but it you know, once I stopped focusing on the relationship because that was gone and tried to focus on really what I owned mm-hmm. and how to get better. And I would say everything in my life from that moment forward of me just going, you know, just taking it down to the box of parts and the bare metal and like rebuilding this, you know, was like that moment of honesty and vulnerability with myself because, you know, people lie to themselves more than they lie to anybody else. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But to stop bullshitting myself and to go, all right, what do I need to do to just improve myself? Everything else stemmed from that. And your mom and I had, um, like maybe it was legally written or just like a pact is that we wanted this to not impact you and your sister. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that there weren't dark thoughts and if she's listening, there were, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I never acted on them and I had some interesting examples not to follow in that. Cause out of your class of like 24 kids, I think there were like eight or nine divorces going on. Yeah. And like, people breaking into their ex's houses and stealing sofas and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to do that. And my good friend, Rob Schwartz, who I'm really thankful for him because he was amazing throughout all this too. He said, you want to look back on all this and be proud of what you've done. Mm -hmm. So have that end in mind, you know, like that. And so that's kind of how I tried to operate you know, and, um, I'm thankful for it. And the, the coin that I flip in my head, right. Is that would I want to be present for like every night tucking you and your sister in and seeing you guys every night and not go through the divorce or be the person that I am and miss you guys and be this person like I would still choose this because I was I was not woke yeah. to borrow the the phrase right? sure 
because I will look back as a reinforcement of what's been happening and just say, because I would like real, real quick, the context was I was making, so like when you were eight or nine, I was a software engineer and I was making like 77 K with Medtronic hated that job just because of, you know, the skill set, Right. Mm-hmm. But on the surface, it looked great. It was two miles from the house. I worked remote before that was a thing. Could wear flip flops, but I hated the work. Right. And it, I look back on like the salary that I would, you know, let's say I could have stayed there 20 years, you know, like, yeah. you know, maybe I could have even like been retiring by now who knows which would be crazy to think about but i look back and you know i would have not had the communication skills to talk to you and your sister or to employers or friends Mm -hmm. so you know i'm so thankful that i went through that because it made me the person that i am you would have become such a goofy dad if you stayed there oh my god wearing like a pink izod sweater I'm just like, hey, guys, I made tuna melts <laughs> or whatnot. I just didn't know how miserable I was. And it was not an artifact of anybody except for myself mm-hmm. and my lack of awareness. Oh, yeah. We, we craft our own realities. Yeah. That's, that's almost a fact at this point. Mm-hmm. And to turn the interview back to you, what advice would you give to someone who might be in a similar position like that? What situation, like a job or a relationship or what? A a situation where you're going through a lot of either self-doubt or self-induced frustration about where you currently are. Mm. The first step that I prescribe as Dr. Randy Venison. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) A way inside joke. We'll cover in some other point. Um, No, but as... uh, as a, a friend or a mentor or as a, uh, a life preserver, like when I hear somebody struggling, like the first thing I always recommend is reading the book Learned Optimism mm-hmm. by, is it Seligman, Martin Seligman? Yeah, right. something like that. Because um, I had a stack of self-help books going through this divorce, and that was the only thing that provided real tangible homework. Mm-hmm but also gave me the context of framing things in a way that was not like Tony Robbins cheerleader. Hey, everything's great. No, it's like things are fucked, Mm -hmm. but like, this is how you're going to handle it. Yeah. This is how you're going to cultivate a mindset of managing things when they're down. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that. And then simply by trying to be as honest with yourself as you possibly can Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that it sucks, but also trying to have the mindset that it's life is generally pretty good and it's going to get better. Yeah. Um, and I think secondarily, I would suggest cultivating a healthy mental diet. Yeah. So I hate murder porn shows. I hate crappy network television, which I can't remember the last time that your sister and I were watching football on Sunday and they had these ads for these crime dramas and these sitcoms. And 
like if your preview looks like shit, <laughs> how bad is the show going to be? Uh-huh. Right? So the podcasts I listen to, the books that I read, the articles that I read mm-hmm. are all better and inspiring. And they're not fluff. They're challenging, but it's people like overcoming stuff. Like the documentaries yeah. that I watch are about design or, you know, sports, but I avoid like murder stuff and like shit that people do to other people. Yeah. I I walk away from because it matters, man. It really matters to your diet. And, you know, just trying to find one thing each day that would make you either smile or laugh or appreciate it. And, you know, you take a 30 second step outside and stand in the sun. Yeah. And if you can forget things for just a second, then that 30 seconds turns into a minute and then turns into 15 minutes. And then Mm -hmm. you start looking for the beauty in the world as opposed to what's wrong with it. Yeah. And you'll find it. But if you look for the shit and you know, the, the disasters and man's inhumanity to man, you'll find that too. Mm-hmm. And one of them is going to make you feel better, and one's going to poison you. I've found, I've found, I mean, admittedly, I was really young during the lat, like around the period that we all look back on fondly, you know, like 2008 to 2016, that mm-hmm. whole time. Or no, wait, yeah, yeah, about that time. It's, I've found it easier to create that sense of happiness now when everyone's arguing that the world's going going down in flames and all this stuff (laughs) i found it easier now to be more optimistic and more just kind of filled with a general contentment than back when people would argue things were going quote great on a large sociological level yeah and it really is all internal i think mental diet i that same presentation I was talking about, I did something just like that, where it's like, if you're eating cake and beef jerky and bacon all day, <laughs> mm. yeah, and Mountain Dew, let's throw that in too. And then you're like, why do I feel so bad? It's like, it's right, it's right there. Mm-hmm. And then if you're doing the same thing, where if you're, in my case, if you're studying, going home, watching shows about serial killers, staying up late, and then watch all this stuff, and then you're like, why do I feel so bad? It's like, there's, there's things there. And of course, there's exceptions to that. There's people who do struggle with these things on a larger level. But I think for most of us, the solutions are pretty present. I won't say obvious, but they are they are within a reachable distance, I think. And that's just me saying that also. I won't speak on behalf of other people. But I, I think the solutions are there. I would agree. The last thing I would tell people is that you're stronger than you think. Yeah. And in some way, you know, be kind to yourself and also like put it in context a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like you and I had relationships that ended. It's like, we'll go tell that to Eli Weisel. Yeah. Right. Who's in a concentration camp. Like, you should be so lucky to be free and have a relationship that mattered when it ended. 100%. Yeah. Like, you know, and like the tough love is like, what do you have to cry about? But the reality of it is like, Hey, you know, and 
this is my optimism training kicking in. It's like, hey, it was good while it lasted, and you got to experience that, and things could be way worse. Yeah. You know, so, but again, it comes back to just reminding somebody that you are strong enough and you can handle this. That's what I would tell people. Absolutely. But I just wanted to say that I'm really happy we did this and yeah. to capture this, but also just, you know, to say that I just, you, you're really just an amazing person and I would hang out with you even if you weren't my son and even if I didn't have to because I just I'm so impressed by you and just love what you've done already and can't wait to see what you've got coming up next I just think you're a phenomenal person and I love sharing you and introducing you to everybody that I know because it's just cool to watch them gravitate and radiate towards you as well just the apple from the tree man (laughs) no you and mom just despite going through a lot of turbulence i'm still very thankful for what you both have provided me with and not provided me with and i think as much as these struggles have shaped me i would not trade them for anyone else's i totally agree so i I appreciate you (laughs) (laughs) i love you man yeah i love you too can I plug where my stuff is? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, thesodcast.com, and I'm also on SoundCloud, and hopefully I'm on Spotify by the end of this recording, which won't mean much to you listening now, but right now I'm on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just search The Sodcast. Yeah. And I think we'll probably co-publish this, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, bud. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Denver. If you are in tech and IT, you need to be at sea level at mile high. This event is brought to you by the Colorado Technology Association. It is Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. at Broncos Stadium at Mile High. The Colorado Technology Association puts this on. It is their largest fundraiser to support their initiatives And it is a really cool event. I have attended several years now and have made great friendships, great business connections. And it's unique in that the CTOs and CIOs from the largest companies in Denver are celebrities. And you actually bid on the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one. But beyond that, it's just a cool event in a very awesome space. So Take a look at coloradotechnology.org, get signed up. And again, that is the sea level at Mile High, Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. And uh, I'll look for you there.